0: at butcherbox.com/morningcup and use code morningcup to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Hey guys, I have a podcast that I think you'll really enjoy. Proof, the investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives here, is releasing its highly anticipated second season where they investigate the murder of 18-year-old Renee Ramos. won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When at least police like arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cop of murder... As a parent, the idea of losing one child is too much to bear. The idea of losing three, unimaginable. On January 26th, 1966, three children disappeared off the face of the earth in a case that, to this day, remains unsolved. So if you like your coffee hot, but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. On a hot day in January of 1966, everyone living in the Somerton Park area of Adelaide flocked to Glenelg Beach to beat the heat and ride the waves. It was a popular destination in a time where surf music was at its peak, and in a simple time where parents felt safe to leave their children unattended, many kids were dropped off at the pier with a few coins in their pocket and a full day of fun ahead of them. Kids like nine-year-old Jane, seven-year-old Arna, and four-year-old Grant Beaumont, who were all considered responsible enough to be dropped off at the beach on January 25, 1966, by their father Jim, who went off on a three-day sales trip in Snowton. The following day, January 26, 1966, Australia Day, the three children begged their mother to allow them to go back to the beach where they had had so much fun the day before. She agreed and, as it was far too hot for them to walk, the three children boarded the bus at 8.45 a.m. and departed on their five-minute journey to the sand and surf, prepared to get back on the bus at noon and head back home. Jim Beaumont arrived home early from his work trip around 3 p.m. and, much to everyone's worry, the children had still not come home. Assuming they may have gotten caught up in the fun and forgotten their promise to come home, Jim headed towards the crowded beaches to look for his children. They were nowhere to be found. So he went back home and, sure they must have gone to a friend's home, started to search the neighborhood. Nothing. The Glenelg police were called at 5.30 p.m. and began what is still considered one of the biggest mysteries the area has ever seen. Almost immediately, police and search parties combed the beaches looking for the young children, still hoping beyond hope that they had simply lost track of time and were safely sitting on the beach. The search soon expanded across the dunes, the ocean, and into the nearby buildings, airport, and rail lines, with news of their disappearance making its way into international headlines within 24 hours of their disappearance. On January 29th, after being missing for three days and a tip from a woman claiming she spoke to the Beaumont children, the boat Boathaven was drained, though nothing of worth was found. And on that same day, the Sunday Mail ran the headline, Sex Crime Now Feared, as people started to come to the harsh realization that the children may have been abducted by a sex offender. Fearing the worst, police started questioning as many people as they could who were on the beach the day of the disappearance, several of which saw not just the Beaumont children that day, but saw them in the company of a tall, blonde, thin-faced man in his mid-30s. A man who, according to those same witnesses, remarked how relaxed the children seemed to be with the unknown man, leading them to assume that he knew them. According to one of the witnesses, this man came up to them and asked if they had seen anyone near their belongings, as some of their money was, quote, missing. He then went off to change and the three Beaumont siblings stood there waiting for him to return. They were then seen walking to the beach together around 12.15 p.m., around the time that they were supposed to be on the bus back home. Now, not only were these witness statements odd, considering if the children were abducted, you would imagine their disposition would have been more fearful. But according to Jim and Nancy Beaumont, Jane, the oldest of their children, was remarkably shy, and to hear that she was playing so confidently with a stranger was completely dumbfounding to them, which then led to a new theory that the children and the man had met on one of their previous trips to the beach and had established a rapport. When presented with this theory, Nancy remembered a chance remark by one of the children that, in the middle of all this fear, started to make a little bit more sense. According to Arna, in a statement that seemed insignificant at the time, Jane, quote, got a boyfriend down the beach. Nancy at the time figured she simply meant a fellow playmate, but now, given the circumstances, the reality of the statement became a lot more chilling. A shopkeeper at a nearby bakery also reported to police that Jane bought some goods, which included a meat pie with a one-pound note, which furthered the police's suspicion that they were in the company of another person, as the children were known to visit often and never once purchased a meat pie, and the fact that their mother had sent them with only six shillings and a sixpence, enough for a bus fare and some lunch, meaning the one-pound note must have been given to Jane by someone else. Despite a hefty reward, the children, nor any of their belongings, have ever been located. A few weeks after the disappearance, a retired New South Wales police detective, a man named Ray Kelly, arrived in Southern Australia to try and help with the investigation. At first, his presence was a welcome change of pace, but after finding out that he was being sponsored by The Sun, a now defunct tabloid, the police asked him to leave the very next day. As the tabloids and other media started to go into a frenzy over the case, the local police tried to keep the investigation as on track as possible. Several months after their disappearance, a woman reported that, on the night of January 26, 1966, a man, in the company of two girls and one boy, entered a neighboring house that, as far as she knew, was vacant. She later saw the boy walking alone before being pursued and snatched up by the man she saw him with earlier. The next morning, the house lay deserted once more, and she never saw the man nor the children ever again. As tips continued to be called in on November 8, 1966, a parapsychologist by the name of Gerard Croset arrived in Australia to try and search for the children. The media once again went completely mad, but Gerard, whose story changed almost daily, was unsuccessful in his search for the Beaumont children. He did, however, point out a warehouse near the children's home and the school where Jane and Arna attended, and said he believed that their bodies were buried beneath it, a place that, at the time of their disappearance, was a building site. The property owners, though reluctant to excavate at the word of a psychic, soon bowed to the public pressure and raised $40,000 to have the building demolished. No remains or any other piece of evidence was ever found. Years passed with leads coming and going before Jim and Nancy, quite out of nowhere, received two letters that were supposedly written by both Jane and the man who was keeping them. The envelopes were postmarked from Dandenong, Victoria and referred to the pleasant life that they were living with, quote, the man who was keeping them. The letter was compared to Jane's writing and for the most part, seemed completely authentic. The man continued the letter by saying he appointed himself the, quote, guardian of the children and was willing to give them back to their parents at a determined meeting place. Desperate to finally have their children back, the Beaumonts, followed by a detective, drove to the designated location, but after hours of waiting, were never greeted by anyone. Some time later, a third letter appeared, supposedly written by Jane, and said that the man had been willing to return them until he saw the disguised detective and decided that they had betrayed his trust and did not deserve to have the children back. The letters, which stopped after the third correspondence, were re-looked into with forensics in 1992 and determined to be a hoax. As with most mysterious cases, though the children have never been found, the list of suspects remains abundant. The first on this list is Bavon Spencer Von Enum, a man who was sentenced to life imprisonment in 1984 for murdering 15-year-old Richard Kelvin, the son of an Adelaide newsreader, Rob Kelvin, a man who, though only charged with the one murder, was suspected of having accomplices and having more victims. During their investigation into his potential involvement with other cases, police heard from an informant identified as Mr. B, who claimed that, during a conversation with Bavon, he boasts about taking three children from a beach several years earlier and had taken them home to conduct, quote, experiments, and that he performed, quote, brilliant surgery on each of them and had, quote, connected them up that one of the children died during this procedure and he felt forced to kill the others as a result. He said he dumped their bodies in bushland south of Adelaide. Though he has not been ruled out as a suspect, there are some facts that don't 100% line up when it comes to his involvement in the Beaumont case. Bevan, who was known to, quote, perv frequently in Glenelg Beach, did seem to match the sketch created by witnesses, but was just 20 or 21 at the time of the disappearances, meaning he was more than 10 years younger than the man seen with the Beaumont children. Not only that, but his other crimes seemed to be against boys in their late teens and early 20s, meaning the Beaumont children were much younger than his normal victim pool. However, the reference to the surgical experimentation did seem to match the coroner's report of several murdered youths in the area, including two young girls who were taken from the Adelaide Oval during a football match. So while there's nothing concretely connecting him to the Beaumont case, it does seem reasonable to assume that Bevan had more victims than what he was charged for. Another potential suspect is a man named Arthur Stanley Brown brown who was charged in 1998 for the murder of sisters judith and susan mckay in queensland he like bevan bore a striking resemblance to the man seen with both the beaumont children and the girls from the adelaide oval case but due to missing records arthur could not be connected to adelaide during the time period of the abductions he was 53 at the time of the beaumont disappearance which again like bevan does not match the age of the man seen with the siblings Another man on the list was James Ryan O'Neill, who was jailed for the murder of a nine-year-old boy from Tasmania and told several people that he was responsible for the Beaumont abduction and, in 2006, lost an injunction with the High Court of Australia to stop the broadcast of a documentary that linked him directly to the case. The detective who worked on the documentary, Gordon Davy, spent three years speaking with James before coming to his conclusion that, although there was no evidence directly connecting him to the case, he believes he is the man responsible for the Beaumont children's murder. James, who claimed to have never been to Adelaide, worked in the opal industry and had to visit the Cooper Petty often, which means he had to pass right through Adelaide each time. The South Australian police do not share Gordon's opinions on his guilt. Another potential suspect is one that you may recognize as we covered him on July 23rd, 2020. A man named Derek Ernest Percy who killed Yvonne Tui in 1969. His guilt was alleged by The Age who suggests that he was a likely suspect in several unsolved child murders. Though he was just 17 at the time of the abduction, police applied for permission to interview Derek about the Beaumont case in 2007, but it's unclear if this interview amounted to anything of worth. Derek was serving time in prison at the time of the Oval Abduction, which, in the opinion of most, is directly connected to the Beaumont case. The last suspect I'm going to talk about, though there are many more, is a man named Harry Phipps, who became the anonymous subject of a book called The Satin Man, Uncovering the Mystery of the Missing Beaumont Children, which was published in 2013. Though the author never names The Satin Man, Harry's estranged son identified him shortly after the book was put out. Harry, a then-member of Adelaide's social elite, bore a striking resemblance to the police sketch, had a habit of handing out one-pound notes, and was an alleged pedophile, lived less than a half a mile from the beach, and whose son came forward in 2007 claiming to see the Beaumont children in his father's yard all those years before. Two other men, just boys at the time, said they were paid by Harry to dig a hole in the yard of his factory around the time the children were taken. In 2013, that area was excavated, but unfortunately, nothing was found. In the aftermath of one of the largest police investigations in Australian criminal history, we are no closer to knowing what happened to Jane, Arna, and Grant than we were back in 1966. The case continues to be worked to this day and a $1 million reward is still available for any information leading to an arrest or to a closed file. The kidnapping and likely murder of the Beaumont children drastically changed the climate of parenting in Australia. Parents who used to let their children roam freely were now supervising their every movement with the Beaumont case, in addition to some similar cases, marked as, quote, an end of innocence in post-war Australia. New leads continue to come in on and off, but nothing has gotten police close to solving this case. Jim and Nancy Beaumont, who stayed in their Somerton Park home for quite some time in hopes that the children would come back, eventually divorced and lived their final years away from the public eye, who was keen to remind them of all that they lost. Nancy died on September 16th, 2019, and Jim, now in his 90s, remains in Adelaide as of the moment this story is being written. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to A Terrible Thing Happened on January 27th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it.